Good afternoon. So good to see many of you today. If you have a Bible, please get ready to turn it to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. In our article, Tyranny Follows Where Truth Fades on DesiringGod.org, author Sharon James writes, in 2007, 14-year-old Yunmi Park crossed a frozen river and three mountains in a desperate attempt to leave North Korea. Eventually, after suffering dreadful abuse in China, she made it safely to South Korea. In 2014, she received the opportunity to study in America, where she would be able to pursue an education in the land of the free. Yunmi entered a program at Columbia University, which was a university founded in 1754, and the school's motto reads, In thy light shall we see light, based on Psalm 36, verse 9. The first universities were established on the basis that God's creation is an object reality that can be studied. Humans created in God's image have the capacity to investigate and reason. The truth that ultimately comes from God is the only solid protection for freedom of thought, conscience, and belief. And earthly authorities can't tell us what to believe and think. Sadly, Yunmi's experience did not remotely resemble the school's founding vision, having escaped the tyrannical regime of North Korea where criticism of the dear leader can land you and your family in a concentration camp. She never anticipated the thought control she'd find at this elite American university. Her professors insisted that history and culture had to be seen through the lens of patriarchal, racist, and heterosexual oppression. Belief in absolute truth and morality was regarded as dangerous and wrong. Transgressions of the dominant orthodoxies resulted in social ostracism or lower grades. And if she were to achieve the degree she wanted, she would have to have self-censored all she said and wrote. And she realized that the land of the free was not as free as she had anticipated. The author asked, what in the world, what is going on? And Sharon James concludes her article, we are living in times that have been poisoned with lies, close quote. The question for you and me this afternoon from our passage, what do you do when you are living in such an age, an age poisoned with lies all around? What do you do when absolute truth is rejected, undermined, and harshly opposed? What do you do when deceit and falsehood seems to have the upper hand? Again, that is the question that the psalmist of Psalm 12 helps us to answer this afternoon. We're continuing our intermittent series, The Summer in the Psalms, uh, where we are looking to cover 10 psalms each summer until we cover all 150 psalms, Lord willing, by the year 2035. Uh, this summer, we'll be studying chapters 11 through 20 during the months of June, July, and August. Well, last week, I encouraged all of us to get in the habit of reading through the entire book of the psalm each summer. So I hope that many of you have already started. All you need to do is just read short chapters, 50 chapters a month for June, July, and August. So if you started this past week, continue reading two to three chapters each weekday, no weekends, and you will be on a good trajectory. If you have not started reading it with 14 days left of June, you need to read three to four chapters and you can get caught up to read two to three chapters again in July and August. In the passage we have before us this afternoon, Psalm 12, the author David is perturbed by the perversion of truth surrounding his society. David says the people of God are plundered 
because lies and flattering lips and double-hearted boasts have caused the godly and the faithful to vanish. And so David models for believers what we ought to do when it seems all hope is lost. So from Psalm 12, I want to share with you two ways, two ways to prevail in truth in times of falsehood. Two ways to prevail in truth in times of falsehood. Here's the outline so you can follow. Point number one, pray for God's Word to be made known. Pray for God's Word to be made known from verses 1 through 4. And point number two, trust in God's Word to keep His own. Point number two, trust in God's Word to keep His own, verses 5 through 8. And brothers and sisters, I pray this Word will remind us afresh the gift that we have been given of God's precious Word in a world that is so deceived by the inconsistencies of man-made philosophies and ideologies. I pray that this word, this message, would cause us to praise God and trust Him more this afternoon. And I pray this message will spark a renewed love for His word, to read it, to know it, to obey it, and to proclaim it. Amen? If you are here and you are not a Christian, or if you are not sure that you are, I wonder if in this vastly and quickly changing world, you have been seeking the stability of reliable truth. In an age when so much suspicion and division and backbiting are all around us, where do you turn to for some grounding? I pray this message will point you to the one who is the firm foundation. His name is Jesus Christ. Scripture says Jesus is the Word of God who came from heaven to dwell among us, who lived the sinless life, who died a substitute sacrifice for us, who rose again and ascended back to heaven to reign as sovereign king, who will return at the end of days to receive His own to eternal life. And we pray, if you are not a Christian here this afternoon, that you will hear from Him, His words, and trust Him today. Amen? Without further ado, let's turn now to the passage found on page 452 in the blue Bibles around you. And as you listen, I want to encourage you, please keep your Bibles open throughout the entire duration of the message and follow along as I preach and as I read uh, this passage to help you better retain these words. By the way, if you do not own a Bible for yourself to read at home, please take one of those blue Bibles with you as a gift from us to help you grow in reading and studying God's Word. Psalm chapter 12 says this, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. How can we prevail in truth when lies and deceptions are all around? Point number one, pray for God's word to be made known. Pray for God's word to be made known from verses one through four. So look with me again to verses one through two. It says this, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. The first words of the psalmist in the dire situation he found himself in is an urgent cry to God 
save, O Lord. Other Bible translates uh, this phrase, help, O Lord. And one commentator says, like an arrow, David shoots up a short prayer. You see, David is pleading with the Lord to deliver, to set free, to liberate. And you'll notice something interesting that David is not praying for himself. You'll see that in the psalm, it contains nothing of a strictly personal note. There is no first-person language, I, me, or my. Rather, we see David praying on the behalf of God's people. Verse 7, you, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. Well, what was the reason for David's pleading? David says, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. So just as Elijah experienced isolation in the desert uh, when he fled after his victory in Mount Carmel, when he says in 1 Kings 19.10, I have been very jealous for God, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And just as prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57.1 said, The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. And just as our sister Emily Holly read to us from Micah 7, the godly has perished from earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. David experienced a loneliness of clinging to the promise of God's covenant when it seemed the faithful and the godly around were simply vanishing and disappearing. I want to ask you, have you ever felt a similar sense of loneliness? Perhaps you are trying to do the right thing at work or at school or at home, but those around you simply ignored you, perhaps belittled you or marginalized you because they did not agree with your standards and beliefs. Perhaps when you look around the culture at large, it seems like everyone is opposed to the Christian beliefs that you hold to. And it seems no one is with you. Everyone is against you. And rightly so, Those who were surrounding him were not silent, were they? They were vocal and they were very outspoken with their vitriol words. Look at verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. They were liars and the ones of the worst kind. Why? Because they were ones who spoke lies to their own neighbors, the people who were supposed to be close to them. The Hebrew meaning of uttering lies not only means speaking falsehood or distorting truth, but more in the sense of speaking emptiness, speaking words of insincerity and irresponsibility, in essence, speaking nonsense, small talk with no purpose, no edification, no encouragement, no truth. These were people who were just speaking gibberish and hogwash and gossip. It also says they were flatterers, words with hidden agendas and hidden motives, words with an evil and selfish intention, words to cheat or use others to get what they wanted. It's an idea in Hebrew that connotes smooth talk that is false and manipulative and harmful. It also says that they were deceivers. The psalmist says they speak with double hearts. Literally in Hebrew, it means they speak with a heart and a heart. They are two-faced. They have ulterior motives. It's using words that means one thing to advance something that is exactly the opposite. But not only that, these people that were surrounding David, they were bragging about it. Look at the end of verse 3 and verse 4. David says, They are tongues that make great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? They were proud. 
They were godless. They trusted in their power, the power of their tongues. They subjected themselves to no higher authority. Why should they? They thought to themselves, we have the gift of words. Our words have influence. Our words have power. Look at our social media following. Look at the masses that subscribe to our agenda. Look at the progress we are making. Look at the elections that we're winning. Who can be our master? God? What God? Bible? That book is outdated, irrelevant. Those Christians, they're delusional, hateful, narrow-minded. They are inhibitors of the exact progress and change we want to make. And this is what David was surrounded by. Brothers and sisters, isn't this psalm such relevant words for us today? In a day where the words protection of reproductive rights are used to justify the killing of millions of unborn babies. In a day where the words sexual freedom and sexual identity and gender fluidity are used to champion all sorts of sinful debauchery and sexual immorality. In a day where the words constitutional rights are leveraged for political power and advancement and not to protect the powerless and the vulnerable. In a day where the words woke and progressives and white nationalist supremacists are used to divide and ostracize and categorize any and everyone who disagrees with you, undermining the real issues at hand. Sinful, wicked racism that lies in the heart of every fallen human being. In a day where words abuse is undermined to shut up victims or exaggerated to cancel those who rightly use good authority to lead and protect, it certainly seems and feels we can sympathize and empathize with David when he prays, help, Lord. Help, Lord. Save, Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. I hope you get my point correctly. No political party is right on everything. No political party is right on everything. Christians cannot be loyal to any man-made party or political policies. They all lie to one another. They all speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. Christians are loyal to Christ alone. Amen? So David does the only thing he can do, as he did in Psalm 11 when his bottom fell out. When the foundations were destroyed, he turned to the only righteous one who is our very help in time of need. David cried out to the Lord, help, save, deliver, have your way, O God. Brothers and sisters, when you felt as if you are all alone in this fight of faith, in this battle of truth, when you are discouraged and feeling isolated as if everyone has their backs turned on you and it seems the ones you are supposed to rely on, the ones you should be fighting the fight of faith with you have all abandoned their post, do you turn to the one who will never leave or forsake you? That's what David is modeling for us this afternoon from this passage and exhorting us to do in such a time as this to call on the one who speaks a better word. Amen? Look at verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongues that make great boasts. Brothers and sisters, David teaches us a powerful lesson of faith here. I pray that you will not miss it. Right? Listen up carefully. Hear it clearly. When it seems that lies and deception and falsehood is winning, do not retaliate with equally vengeful words. Do not debate and argue with those who are wise in their own eyes. Don't waste your breath with those who claim to have no other master, no other authority, who claim to be gods in themselves but their own words. 
They will live and die by their deceit. They will live and die by their falsehood. They will kill for their lies. And John 10.10 says it clearly. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 8.44 says the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. Don't listen to them. The truth is, as Titus 3.3 says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another when lies and deception and falsehood surrounded us. Brothers and sisters, when it seems we are all alone in the fight of faith, there is only one thing that we can do. Pray. Pray. Pray for God's word to be made known. Amen? His truth is the only solution to our woeful situation. His word is the only hope for our wretched soul's salvation. Pray with me. Pray with us. Speak, O Lord. Save, O Lord. Speak a better word than the lies of the enemies. Speak an effectual word to draw your children from our graves into your embrace. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The irony of the question, who can be our master, that these liars were asking, is similar to the question of the advisors in Psalm 11, isn't it? What can the righteous do? They expected the answer to be no one. They expected the answer to be nothing. But our God is a God who speaks into existence something out of nothing. Hallelujah. He alone is creator God. Everything else is his creation. He speaks light from darkness. He speaks life from death. He speaks truth into lies. And that changes everything. Before we move on to point two, I want to ask you a question. What does your words reveal about who you are? Are you known by those who are close to you, God forbid, as liars, as flatterers, as empty talkers, deceivers, and manipulators? Is that what you are known by because of your words? Are you known by those who are close to you as those who use words to tear down rather than build up? Every word that comes out of your mouth is just discouragement. Is that you? Examine your heart this afternoon. Are you comfortable using cuss words in the privacy of your own homes when you claim yourself to be a Christian? Scripture is clear. You are what you speak. You are what you speak. Your words are the outflow, Scripture says, of what is in your heart. Luke 6.45 says, For out of the abundance of your heart, his mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Watch over your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Ephesians 4.25 clearly exhorts all Christians, There should be zero tolerance for falsehood among believers, which says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, empty talk, deceptive talk, death-giving talk, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Let me give you one more. Psalm 5, 6. God, you destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors, hates the man of bloodshed and deceit. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you pray that God's word will be made known among you through you? Let me ask that again. Do you pray that God's word will be made known among you through you? Then may deceit 
and falsehood be far from your lips. In your discipling relationships with fellow church members, in your fellowship with fellow believers, do you speak life-giving, grace-filled, gospel-drenched words of God to one another? When you give advice, do you remind one another with the truth of God's Word to each other? Do you correct with the Scriptures? Do you encourage and teach with the Scriptures? Do you proclaim unashamedly the truth of God's Word to others instead of just giving your thoughts and your opinions and your whatever words of encouragement? Do you speak the truth of God? Pray with us following our service at our monthly prayer meeting that God's Word will be made known among us through New Covenant Baptist Church. Amen? Point number two, how can we prevail? How can Christians prevail in truth when falsehood and flattery surround? Point number two, trust in God's word to keep his own. Trust in God's word to keep his own from verses five through eight. But look with me, the verses five through six, it says this. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Notice in these verses, as David prayed for God's help, how does God answer David's prayers? When David prayed help, how does God answer? God speaks. God speaks. In a hopeless, pressing, distressing situation, God's promise is spoken and heard. So brothers and sisters, are you listening? Are you hearing? Do you have open hearts to hear God's word? This afternoon. In the Hebrew literary technique, the chiastic structure is used to emphasize the words which are at the center. So you see in our psalm, verses 1 through 4 and 7 through 8 are David's prayers for deliverance from the false words of his enemies and the subsequent grim situation at hand. And in these central verses, verses 5 and 6, God's promise and truth about God's word is presented. In other words, these verses are the high point of this psalm. It is the climactic punchline and the turning point in which David regains his footing from despair to renewed faith. David remembers God's words. Verse 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. You see, what David was doing is remembering God's covenant-keeping words. David was remembering the promise of Isaiah 49.15, which said, even these may forget, but I will not forget you, according to God. The promise of Isaiah 44, 21, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. The promise of Psalm 9, 12, which says he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. The promise of Psalm 9, 18, for the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. And the promise of Isaiah 33.10, Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted, just to name a few verses. Brothers and sisters, the central aim of this psalm is to remind believers that in the face of falsehood, God's word prevails. In the face of deceit, that God's word rescues, that God's word saves, that God's word helps. In fact, that is the central message of the Bible, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, the Word of God came to us to save us from our sins. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And down in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And listen to these beautiful verses, verses 16 through 18. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him, the Word of God, Jesus, known. So brothers and sisters, how did God answer David's prayers? He made His Word known to us. Amen? Although David in this psalm, nor in his earthly life, sees Jesus, David clings to the promise of God's Word, you see. David has never seen the fulfillment of this prayer, of this psalm, yet he clings to the promise of God's word. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear. That God had a plan from the very beginning to send to us his perfect word, his son, Jesus Christ, the full and final word. For sinners who distrusted, disobeyed, and rebelled against God's word, and as a result, we were separated from God, incapable and powerless to save ourselves from the power and curse of sin, death, and God's just condemnation in eternal hell. And man in themselves could not keep the laws of God's word to save ourselves. Although time and time again, God showed himself to be gracious and patient towards sinners, calling them to repent and turn to him in trust. They continued to fail. They continued, man continued to rebel and mistrust and distrust God's word. And God, that's why knowing that, had a plan from the very beginning to send Jesus. Who? Hebrews 12, verses 24 through 25 says of him, he is the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And what that verse means is Jesus provided the better and perfect sacrifice for our sins. The blood shed by him and the death he died on the cross was the once and for all full and final substitute payment for all of our sins. And when he rose again on the third day, rising from death, he accomplished what no man could do, proving himself that he was God, that he conquered sin, Satan, and death forever, that whosoever would repent and believe in him would not die, but have new life on earth and eternal life with him when he returns. Amen? If you're here and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you know the one who has always been God's Plan A from the beginning, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, him and him alone, there is no other way, no other truth, no other life. So if you are here and you are not a Christian, or if you are not sure that you are, I want to encourage you and exhort you, repent of your sins this moment. That means turn from your sins, turn from trusting in yourselves and the things of this world, to looking to him, turning to him. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. And trust Him with your whole life, whatever you're going through, whatever that you're facing today. Trust Him with your whole life today and tomorrow and the next day. Amen? I'd love to talk to you more about how to follow Jesus at the close of service. I'll be standing at the back door. Our service leader, Eric, will be standing at this door. If you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior today, we'd love to talk to you more about how you can do that starting today. And brothers and sisters, what does your reliance on the Word, on God's Word, reveal about your relationship with Jesus the Savior, the Lord, the King of your life and of this entire universe? Where does Jesus fall in the list of your priorities in your decision-making, in your life's circumstances? Do you look to Him and search and seek out His Word to lead and guide your life 
Or do you simply go to Him to bless your plans, to bless your future, and to bless your decisions? How does your love, your trust, your obedience, your sharing of God's Word reveal about who is actually your God? Is it Christ or is it yourself? Ask yourself, examine your hearts this afternoon. I love this psalm, seemingly random, but also powerful, necessary, and truth of the nature of God's Word in verse 6. It just kind of pops out so randomly, but so necessarily and effectively and powerfully. Look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. What this means simply is that the Word of God has been tested and tried through many, many generations, and it still stands as the perfect errorless, inerrant, infallible, sufficient Word of God. This is the Bible affirming its doctrine of inerrancy. The Word of God are pure words. There is no error in it. It is fully reliable. It is fully sufficient. No other words are necessary. It has withstood the test of time. The Word of God is not bound. It still proves after many, many generations, after centuries upon centuries to be true and consistent and life-giving. Pastor John MacArthur says of it, even though the Bible is an ancient document, every person in every situation, in every society that has ever existed can find in this book things that endure forever. Here's a book that never needs another edition. It never needs to be edited, never has to be updated, is never out of date or obsolete. It speaks to us as pointedly and directly as it ever has to anyone in any centuries since it was first written. It is so pure that it lasts forever. Amen? This is the word that you hold in your hands. This is the word that you are listening to this moment. Hallelujah. Charles Spurgeon says the Bible has passed through the furnace of persecution, literary criticism, philosophic doubt, and scientific discovery, and has lost nothing but those human interpretations which clung to it as alloy to precious ore. This, the Bible, is the cleanest, clearest, purest book existent among men. It comes from God, and every word, every word, every word is pure. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I'm asking you, brothers and sisters, are you listening? Are you hearing to these words of God? 2 Timothy 16 through 17 says, all scripture is breathed out and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, are you listening? Are you hearing the very words of God. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you again, what do you believe? It all comes down to this. What do you believe about the Word of God? Sadly, in our days, so many so-called Christians reject the doctrine of inerrancy. Mainline Christian denominations reject the idea that God's scriptures in its original Hebrew and Greek are without error. We are in the minority if we believe that God's Word is inerrant and infallible and sufficient. Can you believe it? Those who call themselves Christians do not believe that this is the perfect Word of God. No wonder so many denominations and churches and Christians are straying into theological liberalism that deny the core and central teachings of Christianity. God's Word is the very foundation and pillar of our faith. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, exhort you, remind you this afternoon, may we hope in Christ. May we cling to Christ. May we read about Him. 
May we know it, study it, memorize it, teach it, treasure it, obey it, share it, preach it, stand firm in the very word of God. Amen? Do you see that's exactly what David did at the end of this psalm, verses 7 through 8? You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. You see, since the beginning of this psalm, brothers and sisters, nothing has changed. The circumstances, the culture, and the society surrounding him were just as pressing and imminent and dangerous and oppressive for believers. Yet something has changed, right? David clings now to the word of God and his coming promise. Just as David looked forward to God's deliverance, we can also look back to Christ's finished work. And you know what? We know a better word that Christ has already won. Hallelujah. And we can await with certain hope of his return and his complete vindication, our glorious salvation when he returns. Look at verse 7 again. It says, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Now I want to share with you something that's a bit of a minority interpretation, but I think will help us in our understanding of this passage and firm up David's point in this psalm. But in other translations of this verse, verse 7, it actually reads, You, O Lord, will keep them and you will guard him from this generation forever. Now, the grammatical form is actually plural, them, and singular, him. And so some credible theologian says the word them is actually referring not to his people who long for salvation, but actually refers to his word. So how you would interpret this is, you, O Lord, will keep your words, and you will guard not us, but him. Who is the him referring to? Christ and all who are in him from this generation forever. Now, I say that as a minority view, but I think it helps the case and supports it that God is true to himself, that God is true to his word, that God will guard the one who are his. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you again, as I conclude, are you found in him this afternoon? Are you found in Christ? Do you love and treasure his word? Do you stand upon the promise of his word? Because it is only through his word that you will prevail and persevere in the faith. Amen? The French atheist Voltaire once claimed in 20 years when he was alive that Christianity will be no more. He said, my single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. He wrote that in 50 years, no one would even remember Christianity. But the year he wrote that, the British Museum paid the Russian government $500,000 for a Bible manuscript while one of Voltaire's books was selling in London in bookstalls for just eight cents. Fifty years later after his boast, the house in which Voltaire wrote his atheistic literature was the headquarters of Geneva Bible Society and therefore was used to disseminate Christian scriptures. The nurse who attended Voltaire in his last illness said, For all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another infidel die. His physician's name was Trochim, who was with Voltaire when he died and reported that Voltaire's last words were these, I am abandoned by God and men. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six months of life. And in just those six months of life, if I just have six more months of life, then I shall go to hell and you will with me, O Christ, O Jesus Christ. Well, Voltaire has been buried dead in his grave for close to three centuries and Jesus is alive, and his church continues to live on. Amen? 
Brothers and sisters, how can we prevail when lies and deception and manipulation and falsehood are all around us? David teaches us. David reminds us. David exhorts us. Pray for God's word to be made known. Trust in God's word to keep us to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of your word. We thank you that your word promises us that you will keep him to the end. And those who are found in him will persevere to the end. Father, we are experiencing persecution and suffering against Christianity in such challenging ways in the society and culture that we live in. Father, yet help us not to flee in fear, but help us to fight the fight of faith, trusting and standing firm on the glorious, amazing, inerrant, infallible words of Christ. Father, we pray that our church, New Covenant Baptist Church, will be built on the foundation of the word. Father, may we continue to faithfully disciple one another through your word and share this glorious gospel to all we meet. For your glory and for the building up of your church, we pray. In Jesus' name.